Well, hello, Center Church. It is great to be with you all back together again this week, and uh, I am so excited to have the opportunity to preach God's Word to you all tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can, he- you can go ahead and open them to Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 is probably one of the most famous psalms, if not one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible, and that's because it is all about one thing, hope a strong, steadfast, unwavering hope. And no matter who you are or where you're coming from tonight, this is relevant for you because this is what we all know, that life is difficult. And when the difficulties of life come, you need more than an optimistic outlook on life. You need more than a wishful thinking that things will ultimately turn out for the best in the end. You need a hope that does not and cannot waver even in the midst of difficulty the kind of hope that we find in Psalm 23. Follow along with me as I read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Now in verse 6, when David says that surely or only goodness and mercy will follow him all the days of his life, and he will dwell in the Lord's house forever, it does not sound to me like wishful thinking. Right, David confidently expects this to happen. And what an audacious statement. This was a man who experienced some seriously hard things in his life and yet made the confident assertion that good would follow him every day of his life and throughout eternity. King David had an unwavering hope because the Lord was his shepherd. And like David, if the Lord is your shepherd, you can have a hope that doesn't waver in in life's most difficult moments, a hope that can sustain you to the end. This hope can be yours. Look at verse 1 with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. In this passage, David compares God's care for his people to a shepherd's care for his sheep. Specifically, David lays out three characteristics of the shepherd's care that lead the sheep to unwavering hope. And in verses 1 through 3, we see that the first characteristic of the shepherd's care is that he is a provider. He's a provider. In verse 1, David makes a cause and effect statement when he says, The Lord is my shepherd, and therefore I shall not want. And he fleshes out how the shepherd leads him to not want in verses 2 and 3 when he says, The shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures, the shepherd leads me beside still waters, and the shepherd restores my soul. Now, here's what you need to know about shepherds back then. They often had to take sheep on long journeys searching for food and pasture. Green pastures and still waters were hard to find. And, that, and that's something that we can resonate with a little bit, isn't it? I mean, sometimes it feels hard to find the green pastures and still waters of rest that our souls desperately long for. But when David says that the shepherd makes him lie down in green pastures and leads him beside still waters, he's painting a picture to show the Lord's constant and abundant provision for his sheep. The sheep do not need to wander in search of pasture, but the shepherd leads them directly to it. 
So abundant is this provision and care that King David could confidently say, I shall not want. And when he says this, when David says, I shall not want, he does not mean that because the Lord is his shepherd, he becomes some sort of stoic robot with no desires. What he means is, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack no good thing. Now, some of you may say, wow, that's good for David, but I trust the Lord as my shepherd, and there are many things in my life right now, many good things that I'm lacking. For some of you, you may lack a job right now because of the impact that the pandemic has had on our economy. You may lack a spouse. You may desperately want to have children but be struggling with infertility. You may lack good health or just a general sense of peace in all the uncertainty in our world right now. And from our perspective, all of these things seem like things that would be good for us. But here is what we cannot miss. The truth that David is communicating is this. For those who know the shepherd, you lack nothing that the shepherd thinks is good for you. We could state the truth positively this way. If the Lord is your shepherd, he abundantly provides you with everything that he thinks is good for you. Say that one more time. If the, shep- if the Lord is your shepherd, he abundantly provides you with everything that he thinks is good for you. Now, I know that this truth is hard for many of us to believe. And wherever you are and whatever your lack, I want to first just empathize with you and tell you that you are not alone, that these are really hard things. But second, I want you to wrestle with these two questions. The first is this. Do you trust that God knows what's good for you more than you know what's good for you? Do you trust his wisdom or your own? We live in a culture right now that completely rejects God's authority to define good and instead gives it to the individual. Our world tells us that we decide what's good for us, and it's our job to go out and get it. The scriptures, though, they teach us that our hearts are deceitful and desperately sick. And if we aren't careful, our thought process will conform to that of our culture. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do you trust God's wisdom or your own? The second question is this, do you trust that God won't withhold good things, but graciously provide them when he sees fit? Do you trust his timing or your own? Now, for my entire life, I have struggled to trust the Lord's timing. When I was single, I struggled to trust the Lord's timing with providing a spouse. When Meredith and I got married, I struggled to trust the Lord's timing with with, uh, having kids. And now, even now, I struggle to trust the Lord's timing with something as simple as buying a house, right? You and I, we want things when we want them. We struggle to trust the Lord's timing. But the truth of the Bible is that our God is a loving Father who does not withhold good things from His children, whom He loves so deeply, but He graciously gives them to them when He sees fit. Our God is a God of perfect timing. Do you trust His timing or your own? The path forward for all of us who seemingly lack good things is to fight with all of our might to trust the Lord. Go to him in prayer, fling yourself on his promises, and ask him for strength to trust his higher wisdom and his perfect timing. Our God is a good shepherd who abundantly provides his sheep with everything that he thinks is good for them.
And because he is a provider, we, church, we can have a confidence, a hope that doesn't waver even when it feels like we lack good things. Now let's look back at our passage, picking up in the second half of verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The second characteristic that we see of the shepherd in these verses is that he is a guide. Specifically, the shepherd guides his sheep for two primary purposes. The first is this, the shepherd guides his sheep for their good. The text says that the shepherd leads his sheep in paths of righteousness or right paths, meaning one, that the shepherd knows the right paths, and two, that he graciously leads the sheep into them. The shepherd wants his sheep to flourish, and he leads them in the right direction to accomplish that end. He does not unnecessarily tire out his sheep, right? And this is awesome. This is amazing. I mean, just think about this for a second. The God who spoke the cosmos into existence out of nothing is a God who loves me and personally and intimately guides me for my joy. The Lord is my shepherd. He is for my good. Though, we must understand something, and this is crucial to our unwavering hope. God's guidance for the purpose of our good is a secondary purpose, one that flows out of a much larger purpose. God guides his sheep in right paths for his name's sake, or for the purpose of bringing glory to his name. Now, this, this idea, right, that God is jealous for his glory gives some of us pause because we usually think of jealousy as a negative thing. But think of it this way, when a bride begins to walk down the aisle at a wedding and everyone in the room stands up and turns around and looks at her, no one in the room thinks, wow, what a jealous, self-absorbed narcissist, right? No one thinks that. Of course not. Why not? Because the wedding is about her. It's her wedding. It's her day. She is the most beautiful thing there is in that room. Therefore, she is worthy of all the attention in that moment. Now, in, this, in a similar way, God is the most glorious being that there is. He would be unloving to point us to anything other than himself for our joy because he is the greatest thing there is. Therefore, it is fitting for God to pursue his own glory. Now, let's look back at our passage for a second because there is a connection between verses 3 and 4 that we can't miss. It says this, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here's the connection that David wants us to see. Right paths include dark valleys, and God leads us through them on purpose. Now, this is incredibly important, because if God's guidance in your life is primarily for your happiness then the times of pain and suffering in your life are not only cruel, but profoundly meaningless. Let me say that again. If God's guidance in your life is primarily for your happiness, then the times of pain and suffering in your life are not only cruel, but they're profoundly meaningless. But if God's guidance in your life is primarily for His glory, then even the hardest moments of life have profound purpose. Right? And when you see this, you're filled with hope because even the hardest moments of life aren't an accident. Now, Joni Erickson Tata has a story that may sound familiar to many of you. She was a woman who became a Christian at age 14 at a summer camp. 
But as she got into high school, she quickly confused the Christian life with the American dream. Her prayers, they, they started to sound a lot like, God, help me lose weight, or God, help me get a new boyfriend. And so, right before she left for college, knowing that she had been, uh, living, the Christian, been living a self-centered life, using God as a genie in a bottle to make all of her wishes come true, she prayed and asked God to do something in her life to turn it upside down so that she could live for Him. And just a few weeks later, after her high school graduation, God answered her prayer. She went to the beach with her sister for a swim. She swam out to a raft, hoisted herself up onto the raft, and dove off, not knowing that she was diving into extremely shallow water. She hit the ground, snapped her head back, and crunched her fourth cervical vertebrae, completely severing her spinal cord. The doctors told her that she would never use her arms or her legs again. She recalls her questions to God from the hospital bed. God, is this your idea of an answered prayer to draw me closer to you? How could paralysis be good for me? Over time, though she wrestled, she began to see. She writes this, My wheelchair was the key to seeing all this happen, especially since God's power always shows up best in weakness. So here I sit, glad that I have not been healed on the outside, but glad that I have been healed on the inside, healed from my own self-centered wants and wishes. What Joni Erickson Tata learned was that right paths include dark valleys and that God leads his sheep through them on purpose. God loved Joni too much to leave her in her self-centered wants and wishes, and so he graciously wounded her body to heal her heart. Now, when people look at Joni Erickson Tata, they see beauty in ashes. They see a broken and mangled body, but a joy shining through it that by all worldly accounts does not make sense, right? And this, this makes our God look incredibly glorious. And just like Joni Erickson Tata, you can have unwavering hope because even the darkest valleys of your life are a part of the sovereign guidance of the Good Shepherd. He is for your joy. Not only, though, does the shepherd guide his sheep with purpose through dark valleys, he promises to comfort them and protect them in the midst of them. Look back at verse 4 with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows." The third characteristic of the shepherd is that he is a comforter. Shepherds would carry a, a rod and a staff that they used to protect their sheep. The rod was sort of like a police baton that was used to protect the sheep from wolves and other dangerous animals. And the staff had a crook in the end that was used to pull the straying sheep back into the fold. The shepherd would use both of these things to protect their sheep from imminent physical danger, which led the sheep to comfort in the shepherd's presence. Now, I think most of us in 21st century America feel more anxiety amidst uncertainty than we feel fear amidst imminent danger. Now, no doubt, many of us ha have experienced both from time to time, but most of, most of us feel more anxiety amidst uncertainty. A way this has played out in my life is just uh, this past September, um, my wife and I welcomed our first child, Eli, into the world. And it has been one of the most fun and joy-filled and tiring things uh, that we have ever been through. 
but a few weeks after he was born, we started noticing blood in his diapers. And being the anxious and alarmed first-time parents that we were, uh, we took him to the doctor, and they diagnosed him with food allergies. And so we would hear the doctor's suggestions as to what to do, and my wife and I, we would follow them, but they wouldn't work. We would still see blood in his diapers. And so we would take him back to the doctor and see a different doctor and hear their suggestions and follow them, but nothing seemed to be working. And it's something that we're still trying to figure out how to handle this situation. And to be honest, it has been one of the most exhausting and frustrating and anxiety-filled things that my wife and I have ever been through. Why? Because we love our son more than anything, and, we have, and there's nothing we can do to heal his body, right? We have tried so many things, and we have zero control over the situation. There's nothing we can do. And the truth here, the truth that Meredith and I have needed to hold on to is that we are not in control of Eli's body, and actually most of the things in our life we are not in control of. But there is one who is in control. And not only is he in control, he is by our side and promises to comfort us even in the, even in the most out-of-control moments of life. Now, though that truth alone has much power to liberate us from anxiety, I know, uh, trust me, I know that sometimes it just isn't that easy, right? Intellectually, we can affirm that God is in control and that he's with us, but it can be hard to feel that and find relief from anxiety at the heart level. And there are, there are a few things uh, that just I have found to be helpful with this. And if you're a note taker, feel free to jot some of these things down. The, the first is soaking up God's word. Or read your Bible right when you wake up, even before you touch your phone and before any anxious thoughts can fill your mind. We've got a new Bible reading plan on our website that, uh, for this year. That would be a great place to start. Right? Memorize scripture. Make 2021 the year that you memorize more scripture than you ever have in your entire life. Memorize Psalm 23, verse 4, to remind yourself on the go this week while you're at work that God is with you. It is amazing what a calming effect God's word can have on our anxious souls. Second, get around God's people. Right? Sometimes it can be hard to believe God's promises on our own. Anxiety cripples us, and we feel so disconnected from the God we love, even sometimes with an open Bible. You need other Christians to help you believe God's promises in times of difficulty. It's one of the reasons here at Center Church we put such a big emphasis on missional communities. Right? Gospel-centered community makes the good times twice as good and the bad times half as bad. So you, if, if you are struggling to feel the comforting presence of the shepherd, run to his word and run to his people. God has given you these things to know him more deeply and give you a hope that won't waver in life's most anxious, out-of-control moments. The good news of Psalm 23 is that God is a provider, a guide, and a comforter to those who trust him. However, what King David knew and what you and I know is that if God's provision guidance, and comforting presence is based on our perfect obedience to him, we are hopeless. You see, from the beginning, God the shepherd has been pursuing his people, his sheep, as David explains in verse 6, with goodness and steadfast love. The tragic thing is that for thousands and thousands of years, human beings have chosen to forsake the care of the shepherd and search for it elsewhere. The shepherd's provision was not enough for Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They wanted the fruit. They wanted to be like God. The shepherd's guidance wasn't enough for Abraham. He sought help from the foreign nations around him. 
The shepherd's comforting protection wasn't enough for Israel, but they wanted God to set a king over them. Right? Just like these, and just like King David, you and me, we wander. And God had every reason to leave you and me and every other human being to their own devices and let them walk willingly right into an eternity apart from him. But he didn't. The cornerstone of David's hope was God's promise of deliverance. And the cornerstone, church, of our hope is the person of deliverance. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, has come to be our substitute, to lay his life down in our place. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord, God the Father, has laid on him Christ. Whose iniquity? Not his. He had none. Our iniquity. Sin had to be punished or God would be unjust. But because of God's incredible grace, but because of God's incredible grace, he sent a substitute to take the punishment that you and I deserved. And not just any substitute, but his perfect son. Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead secures a living and eternal hope for whoever would put their trust in him. And one day, one day, Jesus will return in power and glory, and we will see him face to face and be made like him. In Christ, every single one of the promises of God finds their fulfillment. He is an abundant provider. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He is a purposeful guide. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is a protective comforter. I will be with you always, Jesus says, to the end of the age. He is a perfect substitute. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I lay down my life for my sheep. The bedrock of our hope is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, we walk through every circumstance in life with the confidence that because God did not withhold his son, goodness and mercy will follow us every day of our lives, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, as I close, I want to look at some of the implications that this hope of Christ has on our lives. But before I get there, I want to speak to those of you who are not Christians, to those of you who haven't trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, because there are implications for you as well. Look at Psalm 49, verse 14 with me. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and uh, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. God forbid you walk out of here tonight thinking that there are no implications for you. The gospel demands a response. Jesus Christ is Lord or he's not. All who trust in him as provider and guide and comforter and substitute have an unwavering hope that goodness and mercy will chase them forever. What this verse shows us, though, is that all who do not trust in Christ will experience an eternity apart from him with death as their shepherd. So you who have not trusted in Christ, let me plead with you for a minute to come into the shepherd's care. His provision is satisfying. His guidance is purposeful. His comfort is peace-giving, and his substitutionary atonement is eternity-transforming. Through repentance of your sin and faith in Jesus, unwavering hope in all the circumstances of life is yours. Now, 
for those of you who do trust Christ, I want to highlight two implications for you. The first is this, hope frees us from a life of self-enhancement. If there's anything we've learned from this passage, it's that those who trust Christ are profoundly taken care of. God's goodness and steadfast love will follow us forever. Therefore, we're freed from the bondage of self-enhancement. The saddest thing in the world is to watch the church praise God for his provision and his guidance and his comfort and then go out and live like absolutely none of it is true. Whether it's the next vacation, the new phone, the obsession with the way we look, every single one of us is prone to make this life about us. And not only, church, is it sad, it's a great way to make this hope that we boast of in Christ look completely and utterly unattractive to the world around us. People aren't dumb. They can tell what we value by what we spend our time and our money on, by what we say and what we wear. May this not be our story, church. May this not be true of us. God gives us a hope by taking care of us, which frees us from a life of self-enhancement. And not only that, he gives us hope to empower us for a life of kingdom advancement. Jesus says in John 10, the same place where he talks about being the good shepherd, that I have other sheep who are not of this fold, and I must bring them in also. Jesus looked out on the lost world with a gut-wrenching compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Church, our hearts should break for our coworkers and our neighbors and our classmates who don't know the good shepherd, who don't have a hope that can sustain them through all the circumstances of life. The hope you have in Christ is intended to free you from, from using your life for self-centered comfort-seeking and empower you to a life of sacrificial service. John G. Patton was a man who trusted the Lord as his shepherd and had the promise of goodness and mercy behind him forever. And so, in 1858, at the age of 33, this hope compelled Patton to move with his pregnant wife to a chain of islands off the coast of Australia with the knowledge that just a few years earlier, a team of missionaries tried to take the gospel to this same chain of islands and were eaten by cannibals. And as you could probably imagine, Patton was criticized heavily by church members, friends, family members, everyone who knew him for his decision to take the gospel, to move to this new chain of islands and take the gospel there. He recalls one such incident in his autobiography. Mr. Dickinson exploded. The cannibals, you and your family will be eaten by cannibals. Patton responded, Mr. Dickinson, you are advanced in years now, and your own body is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. John Patton had an unwavering hope because the Lord was his shepherd. And this hope freed him from a life of self-enhancement and empowered him to a life of kingdom advancement. Church, this is our hope. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, is a provider, a guide, and a, com a comforter, and a perfect substitute. He is a rock of hope that can sustain us through all the circumstances of life. Let's pray.
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus, we thank you for taking our place on the cross, sealing our living and eternal hope that can sustain us through every circumstance of life. Father, I pray for everyone listening to this who is not a Christian, that they would tonight put their trust in you. God, I pray for Center Church, that we would be a church that holds fast to the hope we have in Christ, and that this hope would compel us to take the gospel to our city and our world. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.